Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, buddy, do we need food right now? It's too late. We're already recording. My Nana used to say, if, if, if I was ever like, oh, I'm really hungry, she would say, do you want to nibble on my finger? <laughs> no. Grandma. You don't wash your hands when you go to the bathroom, Nana. <laughs> uh, hi, everybody. Welcome Alex. to the Arboretum. This is Alex. And this is Casey. And uh, today we are coming to you live from Portland, Oregon. A very sunny, beautiful day. Beautiful day. It was a little chilly yesterday, which is nice. Mm. It was like the sun was out, but there was like a, it was like the temperature wasn't too high. It was perfect. It was really nice. That was kind of my ideal It was. Yeah, my too. Yeah, I really liked it and I had a good time. Sat outside for quite a while. Nice. Yeah. I might do some of that today. A little, a little sunbathing. It's a great idea. Oh, I was in the shade. Oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Gotta be. Gotta, yeah. It's too hot. I need to I need to work on my olive my olive tone. <laughs> Just a little green. To uh to cl- to to clarify for everyone, I am about as British as they come. Yeah, you got a you got a nice uh, pale skin tone. I do. Although I got a little sun this weekend, Casey. Hey, all right. I was right, out in yeah. Hood River and I was outside quite a bit. Making a good amount of music. Yeah, you look yeah. Uh, you look nice. You look Thanks. Good. Not too flushed. You look like you got the right amount of vitamin D. Uh, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Hung out with my friend Kyle, and we made music, and um, kind of talked about big, big ideas, you know. Yeah. And then um, I went to this property, Bubba Wood. My friends Scott and Kay own, and they were having a big celebration, Casey. What were they celebrating? Because they had to put Bubba Wood up for sale. Oh no! Bubba Wood is this? Is this? I don't know how many acres, but a big chunk of land yeah. in the forest uh-huh. uh, north of Hood River. Okay. About 20 minutes. And um, they were going to have to put it on the market because oh. they're moving to Mexico for, oh. for a year. Wow. Um, and I guess someone from the community, their longtime friends, woke up one day and was like, I want to buy Bubba Wood. Whoa. And they did. So it's staying in the family, essentially. That's so great to hear. Yeah, and they're they're not selling to. Uh, I think I think they they made they made an allusion to this several times um, that if it wasn't one of their friends, it was going to be swiped up by a tech company, and they were going to like mm. knock the forest down and build a campus out there. Oh wow! Um, so they were very happy to not do that. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. I wonder why. I wonder what company. Um. Probably the Umbrella Project. Uh, all right. <laughs> One to be feared, everyone. Watch out for the Umbrella Project. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Casey, you, you the played parasol in a... parasol party. <laughs> you played in a, in a tournament this I weekend. I did, yeah. This weekend I went to uh, play Ultimate Frisbee, for those of you who don't know. And we played a tournament that was put on by a couple of friends of ours, and it was a nice time. We lost all but one of our games, which is great. Nice. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. It, you know, worked hard, yelled a lot. You know, tired. Used your body. Used my body and uh, went out to a uh, an event, Petalpalooza event called Loud and Lit on Friday night. <laughs> which, for those of you who don't know, it's a double entendre. You get loud and lit uh-huh. with lights and other intoxicants. Oh, because it happens at night. Yes, exactly. It's like to light your way. Yeah. And you so, need to be loud so that people know where you are. Exactly. So it has this, uh, This on one side, uh, there's this idea of we're having a, a, a bike ride where we're going to have as many lights and musics as we can mm. so that we can basically say, yeah, you know, bikes are everywhere, they're doing things and just, you know, have a party. But that obviously is also turned into let's just make it into a gigantic moving party with literally thousands of people and everyone is lit up with as many lights as they possibly can on their bikes but then also everyone is having many loud musics on all different bikes yeah so people are riding their bikes through and you have like people who have these gigantic setup on the back sets setups on the back of their their bikes like they have a trailer and they're riding Mm. but they have like speakers hooked up to like 
car batteries and it's just wow. fucking going. See, this is the kind of, th- I'm glad that you had this experience. It's, it's great. It's the kind of thing that I would, I would hear in my apartment. I would run over to the window and look out and grumble about it as I went by. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, we do fit two niches, you know, don't mm-hmm. we? So, yeah, it was great. But, of course, that means, you know, I was up late because I'd also went to the Thorns game that night. Oh, uh, wow. So, friends of mine uh, all went to the Thorns game. Then we went from the Thorns game, rode our bikes over to Loud and Lit, and then rode our bikes around. And uh, then I left, and I think I got back to my house probably about 1 o'clock or so. <sighs> then made a giant bowl of macaroni and cheese because that's what I do Hell yeah. when I'm like I just need to eat so I don't wake up tomorrow feeling horrible mm-hmm. I woke up the next morning feeling horrible <laughs> and ended up getting uh, getting out to the fields and then two of my other teammates who are college students just graduated mm. saw them at the top of the the parking garage at Lloyd Center which is where oh, I actually yeah. went to a fungal associate that's last right. year same thing I remember that and uh, so we were up there and they they were there I was like oh you guys what's up it was great you know, we're all a little little lit so to speak mm. and uh, so I, I gave feeling them some the beers. afterglow we were feeling the afterglow so we gave, we gave them some beers and they uh, later that night were saying oh man we're gonna we're gonna get up early because Casey's clearly out here partying the night away we're gonna get up we're gonna go to the fields and when we get there we're gonna ice Casey as soon as he arrives because oh, wow. we're certainly gonna get there before him for those of you who are not familiar, it's when you take a Smirnoff ice, you hide it, and then some unbeknownst person picks it up, and then when you find it, you have to drink it immediately. And in I, Frisbee, we have 10 seconds stalls before you have to throw the game, so everyone says, down in 10, and they count down from 10. So you have to drink it fast. Now, now, that, I've been, <laughs> now that I've been sober for three years, and I'm 34 years old, yeah. I just like, I can't imagine drinking that way at this age it's horrible yeah doesn't it get worse and worse oh yeah 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 this this was this was a, a rough day for Ooh, me boy but so here's the thing sorry uh they both of those those two guys did not wake up in time for not even the first game but the second game wow. they showed up halfway through i was there and we're like where the heck is everybody else and i was like you know what take a picture of me and send it over to them so they know. <laughs> and they did that and they, they regretted it because they were like, wow, we had these giant plans to, to ice hungover Casey when he mm, gets up. You got him. Not you so sh- children. You should have included a caption of the photo. Looks like your ice melted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be beautiful. The thing is, I had no idea about this at all, but I lead the, I lead the team. I'm a leader of sorts. So I was like, I got to get up. I got to show up. I got to yeah. lead practice or lead the, the warmups and be the leader on the field. And uh, so I did that because that's my job. Although I was, you know, strung out is the best term to say. Because yeah. I just wake up at like seven o'clock Shit. and I'm just like, I got like five hours of sleep. Still drunks. Not, no, no. Because I, I, I checked on that. It was not that. Because I was worried. Because, you know, if that happens, you know, it's not very good to drive too far. Right. So everything, Too far. Yeah, everything was okay. <laughs> You can get by on a few blocks. Uh, yeah, yeah, a few blocks. Go down to the the grocery store and then wow. come back. But no, this was this was a good distance. So Casey Clapp does not condone drunk driving. He does not condone it. I do not condone it. I I do not do it, and I don't suggest anyone else pick up the habit. Yeah. Have you ever done it? Drunk drive? Yeah, yeah. In the forest, every now and then that happens. But in the low, forest, low stakes. I other see. than you know, you can hit a tree, I guess. Sure. But no, I mean, you know, I've certainly had had drinks and then driven afterwards. But yeah, driven like intoxicated to the point where it was dangerous. I don't think so. I really yeah. put all my efforts towards making sure that doesn't happen. I did that a couple times in my early twenties. Yeah, yeah. When like, I was uh, just like, it's either I go home, which is like a mile away. Yeah. Or I sit in my car for the next three hours, sobering and up, just wait for it to happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things it's where bad. it's yeah, it's Don't not do good. It. It's not good. It's very bad. And on top of that, I'm like petrified of getting a DUI. Yeah. Whether or not I crash, like, or kill someone, that would be mm-hmm. worse. But I just really don't want to have that on my record, you know? Sure. I also don't like, um, I don't like when people drive like assholes when they're perfectly sober. Yeah. So especially as a cyclist, I'm just like, I got to put my money where my mouth is. If I yell at you for being a dumb driver, 
I don't myself want to be that dumb driver, you know? Also, a DUI just comes with a huge, here's a bunch oh, of yeah. stuff you have to do now. It's very, very expensive. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awful. So, for all good reasons, you know, you don't want anyone to be doing that, which yeah. is why I ride my bike almost everywhere. Because <laughs> plenty drunk. Plenty drunk, yeah, you know? There's back roads that you're taking, and, you know, uh. if, you are, if you are, I think actually my friend Max one time, uh, this is a fun story about, you know, our, our youthful, uh, youthfulness. Uh, mm. we were in college and, um, we were, we were having some beers and, uh, we ended up having a lot of beers and then I was riding my bike. Do you have a number? Ooh, no, I couldn't even begin to guess. 20 between the two of you? Oh, between the two of us probably. Yeah. Yeah. But easily, easily probably like. Eight or nine for me. Yeah, nine, nine, ten is where it starts to get like beyond heavy duty. Yeah, this was quite heavy duty. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure I had blacked out by this point. Wow. Max was. Uh, we were all about to ride our bikes home. He had not drank as much as me, but he was certainly not sober. And he was like, "Yeah, Casey, you. I remember you couldn't even like you were struggling to like walk with your bike. Wow. And then as soon as you got on, you sh- shot off like a rocket, and you did not." did not even at one point look like you were completely drunk. Wow. So as soon as I got on my bike, it was like, wing. And yeah. I was just perfectly, perfectly on it. Not that I was, you know, I'm not giving an excuse here. No, but it just but, goes to show that, you know, uh, muscle memory goes deep. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> and the thing I always think, and, you know, I've, I've told, told my parents this, I've told everyone, if you are riding your bike and you have had too much to drink, that is technically still legal. You're operating a bike, and that's a DUI. Mm-hmm. It's, they count it as a motor vehicle, even though obviously it's not. Interesting. Yes. So you can, if you are riding drunk in the street, they can pull you over and give you a DUI. So this is all under the context of the difference between bikes and cars, where if I'm driving a car and I'm drunk, then your uh, your your way, or what am I thinking? Um mm. Oh my God, your response. Sa- time? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Like your stopping time, yeah, like yeah, your, yeah. how quickly you do things, is mm-hmm. like way slower and like reduced. Yeah. So if you're driving a like three quarter ton vehicle at thirty miles an hour, or forty, or fifty, and you do you miss your turn, you miss the thing that you're supposed to be doing. You don't see that person, or you don't react quick enough. Your reaction time. Reaction then time. Yeah. You you smash into that thing, that person, and everything's really bad. A bike going at like a normal person as fast as they can, your max is like 20 to 25 miles mm-hmm. an hour. Like you just physically cannot go quick enough. Your whole thing, including your body, weighs about 200 pounds. So you're not like if you hit something, you are going to destroy you and your bike maybe. But that thing, even if it is a car, is maybe going to get a scratch. A person can jump out of the way of a bike pretty quickly and easily. They can't well, jump out of a car because it's six feet, eight feet wide. I so guess that's true. There's, I, I guess it's just the differences in, in riding your bike while intoxicated versus driving while intoxicated. Yeah. Like magnitudes of difference. Of course, yeah. So anyway, no one knew they were going to be talking about our youthful uh, exuberances today. I have, I have one driving high story. Oh. And when I went to college at the University of Oregon. By got, the way, we are not admitting that we've actually done this. These are just stories that we heard from It's just most. mythologies from across <laughs> the world. Uh, when I went to the University of Oregon to get my degree... Um, I discovered marijuana <laughs> and uh, I discovered marijuana. I was a fan. It was growing there. I didn't, no one had ever seen it before. So Western of you. Alex. I thought it was quite ponderous and I, uh, <laughs> but I, I got, I got really into smoking weed and um, my, my, my buddy Monica, she and I like just skipped so many classes and got mm-hmm. so high so many times. And one night, I was uh, I was smoking with Monica, and I decided okay. to go home. I was like, I'll just drive home. It's like pretty close. It's not a big deal. The the town after a certain hour is just completely dead. Yeah, you know, and it's a college town. Very close by. Yeah, so I'm driving home, and I stop at this uh, red light, and I'm sitting there waiting for the red light, and I'm like, geez, this light's taking forever, and I continue to sit there. And I'm looking out to see if there are any cars coming because it's getting to the point where I'm like, I've been here for four minutes oh my, yeah, and this light is not changing green. Yeah. 
there there must be something wrong with it, but I don't see any other cars. I'm just going to go. And finally I looked up and something clicked in my brain and I realized that I was at a stop sign. <laughs> you just sat at a stop sign. I just, my brain stalled out and thought I was at a red light. It was oh, that's ridiculous. Hilarious. And I like kind of laughed at it at the time. And then later I was like, that is bad. Yep. Yep. Well, Could have been what? worse. Yeah, if you were drunk, you would have just gone straight through that True. stop sign. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, ride your bike if you're going to be doing any intoxicants. <laughs> or just especially walk. in Portland, <laughs> or walk. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, or walk. We're going to an Uber. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. There's a lot of di- a lot of different options. Certainly, don't drive. Driving, Call yourself a rickshaw. Oh God, please. I've seen those in Portland. Dude, they're the best. Yeah, I love them. Saw them in Hood River this weekend. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope you. I hope they're going uh, up river, not down river. Uh, so the winds come from the ocean, usually going to the east. Mm-hmm. So it's always very like. Yeah. So if you're riding your bike with a big rickshaw, for those of you who don't know, rickshaws are those little ones that you like <laughs> sit in the back. Yeah. Uh, if you're going upwind, it's like a sail. Oh, sure. If you're going yeah. downwind, it's not exactly like a sail, but you, you sail. <laughs> for sure. Down. I'm not sure. I, I didn't I didn't check. I should have yelled across the street. Hey, are you are you riding upwind? Yeah, you can tell by his look if he's exasperated when he looks over at you, or if he's just like very chill. Yeah, you'll know the difference. And then I said, and "Then I said, would you like to?" And then I farted. <laughs> Got him. All right, let's move on from that. Jesus, oh, that's Christ. what changed it. Oh, that's yeah, that yeah, changed the tone. Yeah, not dr- yeah. not all your talk of hey, it's okay to uh, ride bikes drunk, Jay? but not drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you took it down to fart jokes. And oh, you don't Alex. like fart jokes? No, I don't like fart. But jokes. I was being ironic, Casey. Couldn't you tell by the tone of my voice that I was yeah. I was saying that joke ironically? Exactly, but the I, the the joke is still a joke even though it's ironically. Um but that's the 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 thing that makes it a joke is the irony. Yeah, exactly. So I I I don't understand your distinction here. You need to watch more Arrested Development. God dang. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're not here to talk about 16 minutes and 26 seconds. Hey everybody, we are here to continue a discussion that we started on a mainline episode recently. That's right. About anthropomorphization that's right this is a fun one to say yeah every time i say it i feel like i'm falling off a cliff and i land <laughs> safely um so what was the what was what did we, how do we get into this casey in the episode well we were talking about i think you said um you don't mm. like it when someone says a tree is happy yes or stressed, or stressed. yeah sad yes yeah. and i had countered saying well we don't have another good term right to describe what that is and that this term is used or those terms i guess more stressed is used as a uh non-emotional sense where mm-hmm. you can just say uh is a tree functioning properly or is it functioning improperly and because it's a living thing we add that uh kind of epithet to it and you might use stressed as like did you know did we have 105 degree temps for the yeah. last week yeah water stress yeah and this stress and this tree is like not getting enough water and it's starting to like you know it's it some of its leaves singed yeah and it's like dropping a limb yeah you would say that tree's stressed precisely right um as opposed to that tree is you know experiencing drought or whatever yeah, right. But then, uh, so I guess, um, so to start it off, one, there is like a difference between a sign and a symptom when you're talking about trees. Hmm. And a sign is a definite um, thing that you can see that then denotes of a very specific thing. I'll give you an example. Okay. Decay. You can have hmm. a sign of decay, which is the mushroom, the conch growing out of the tree. Or a hollow bit in the tree. Whether or not you see a mushroom, in order for that hollow to exist, it must have been decayed. And fungus is the 99% thing that does that decay when the tree is alive. But those aren't symptoms of decay? Exactly. A symptom of decay could be sap leaking. Or it could be a crown that is less full. Or it could be a crown that's a multi- or different colored. Or some dieback here or there. Something like that. Okay. Um, so it's not an outright um, hmm. fact that one leads to the other. It's more saying, well, I see this. It could be decay, but it also could be this, this, or this. So if you find, um, like, you know, emerald ash borers will leave little holes. Yes. If you find those, that's a sign of emerald ash borer. Exactly. But it's not a symptom. 
Exactly. The symptom would be dieback in the canopy. Okay. So you see the dieback in the canopy and you think, well, okay, I see this symptom. What could that be? This is an ash tree. It could be a lack of water. It could be that the roots have been cut. It could be that there is emerald ash borer. But gotcha. if you see that hole, like you're saying, you know what the cause of the symptoms are. I see. You got it. I just took a really strong sip of coffee. Oh, it was coffee. I forgot that you were drinking coffee. It's at the bottom, and I and it mm. like it's all that sediment. You yeah, know? a little cold. Woof. Yeah, it's also cold. Nice. It's also a half of a latte mixed with half of old coffee from this morning. Oh God. Um, that's a. You know. That's rough. It's full of caffeine. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 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 the the uh, anthropomorphization thing case. Yeah. <clears throat> If we have like a high school debate class here. Yes, that's what you brought up, yeah. Yeah, you are pro this brand of anthropomorphization. Yes. Humanization, you call it. I do, yeah. And I should probably give an example of what the difference is. of Between anthropomorphization and human, humanization. Yes, but I'll let you continue. Uh, and then I am, I am, you know, for the sake of the episode, Con, I, I don't... It's like fun to say that you have an opinion about something. Yeah. But I, I it's not that strong. You're not like, you're, you're not going to die on this hill? No, I yeah, will yeah. walk back down the hill if yeah, things yeah. get tough. I think that's a great move. Yeah. I, well, I don't care that much. It's just in the moment I was like, I don't really like that. Yeah. I think it's worth the conversation because it is, um, it's been brought up and it's come up for us a lot in mm -hmm. the last couple months. Yeah. Not to mention, it's been coming up a lot since like Peter Wallenbein's uh, book, The Hidden Life of Trees. That's right. So that is, um, that is, I think, where it first started coming up. And I remember when he started, uh, started bringing up or started becoming popular. That was something that I talked about with Allie Ward on my Dendrology episode. Like that book had just come out. So wow. maybe 2016, 2015 is when it came out. Okay. Started getting popular. And then I think I did that in 2017, hmm. I think. So basically the way it was working is, or the way that he did his work is said, trees feel emotions and they have, um, they, they have love and they have, <laughs> um, they have connections that are more than just physical that actually have some amount of feeling involved with them. Mm. So he really made people see that trees and fungus together connect trees in a way that he was uh, using the premise of happy and sad and um, care for and things like that. Love. Yeah. And then had like wisdom. He had another book. It was called like the hidden wisdom of the forest and things like this. So he has a lot of these kinds of books where it takes emotions and feelings that humans have and puts them onto a tree, superimposes them onto whatever a tree happens to be doing at the time. Tell everyone what I just did with my face. Uh, your eyes rolled, you closed your eyes, you shook your head, and then you flipped me off. <laughs> With both hands. With both hands. Um, so I think that that is, um, like, I think it's fair for one reason. One, it got people to connect with trees. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. Like, overall, if I just, if you just, you like, do the means... Uh, do the means, what was the term? Um, Do the, uh, justify the ends. Yeah, yeah. Ends justify the means. Yes. Or, yeah, I, I think either way, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Alex uh, is calculating, calculating. Wait, so if it, sorry, this doesn't matter. Does the end justify, justify the, the means? means? Like, is it worth to have it if the way you got there is this unsavory yes method exactly there's a lot of different options for that it's yeah. like um what uh what Did shows the ends justify that? the means that's it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so anyway like the, war people will say that about war yeah or like look at the good thing that happened after the war yeah and say okay well was the war justified then because of that right whether or not the war's goal was that thing you yeah. know now we got it. so for for this book and this whole idea of of anthropomorphizing trees scientists say no it's not because it colors our assessment and observations yeah. in a way that is not necessarily accurate because it's us projecting how we humans feel and understand and see the world onto something else that may not feel or see or understand the world in the same way 
Certainly, trees and any other animal see and interact with the world differently. You know, if you can even imagine a tree interacting with the world and seeing it, you know, mm-hmm. like they certainly interact, which is kind of like the most basic, most uh, neutral term we can use. You know, it interacts to or it interacts and reacts to stimuli yeah, in the mo- environment. Every living thing does, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we happen to do it and we can read and understand people's emotions. So one person can go out and really have a good time. Another person can go out and really have a bad time. Mm. So they, they have these certain emotions. So with, um, with trees, and the reason why I choose not to use uh, anthropomorphizing is because I happen to be on that scientific side of that debate where I think you need to be able to objectively look at something to understand it in the proper context of it not us. And I think that's important. Yeah. The second thing though, is that I think it can go too far. Oh, so you're saying, sorry, you're saying that, what is his name? David? David, uh, no, no, no. Peter Wallenben. Peter Wallenben. Yeah. And also I'm, we're pronouncing that horrifically Americanly. So just, we're sorry. Oh, where's he from? Uh, he's German. And he, uh, uh, the trees he's talking about are the uh, English oak and the, or the pedunculate oak and the uh, European beech. Wallenben? Yeah. So I think it's actually like um, Wallenbein, something like that. Ah, uh, okay. Like I heard someone say it and I was like, oh, that's how you say that? Oh my God. Okay. Whoops. And it's, it's Ben? Uh, yeah. Well, I think, I think so. Let's just stick with Wallenben. Call it good. I, I mean, first name. Oh, Peter. Peter. I yeah. cannot. Sorry. <laughs> So Peter, I even forgot what I was going to say. Peter, you're saying that Peter w- got people into trees. Uh, yeah. But he did it through the context of a of a human. He well, no, he just anthropomorphized the shit out of the trees. That's what I'm saying. Okay, gotcha. Yes. Um, and you are on the side that says we can get people interested in trees without doing that. Yes. We can show them the science, and that will be interesting. Yes. Without humanizing anthropomorphizing this tree yes. and saying that it has feelings and loves and grieves and things. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That that's what I that's what I want to kind of go for. Okay. Cuz on that other side of the spectrum on that that um the very scientific thing where it would be like so taboo and absolutely out of the question to say this tree is sad. It's not out of the question to say it's stressed because a stressed tree is a tree that you can look at and say well it's it's unhealthy for some reason. And health of a tree is a fairly objective thing. We can look at a tree and say, you know, on a spectrum, that tree is in very good shape, in good shape, in fair, in poor, mm-hmm. dead. You know, we can look at it and we can give a distinction. Whereas if we are saying a tree is um, like happy or sad, like, well, that, what, define that that isn't yours, define that for the tree. So scientifically speaking, they will be so objective, they won't use any kind of uh, of anthropomorphic terms whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I think that goes too far in a different direction, the opposite right. direction. It's a spectrum, right? Yeah. So if you go too far on that, then you take all of the the kind of like living and uh, mm. interesting parts about a tree and you turn it into this this object in time that you have this snapshot and you say, boom, there, there's this tree. It's existing now. Let's describe and observe how it's existing and make conclusions based on how it has existed in the past and how it will exist in the future. Cause nobody says this about a rock. No one does. No one says a rock is happy. Right. Or stressed. Yeah. Other than the people who live in Gladstone. Oh my God. You're welcome. Um, what's up? What's up? What's that was up? actually really, really good. <laughs> Shout out to actually, my homies. That was very good. Uh, in Gladstone. It made me put my hand in my, <laughs> my face in my hands. For those of you who know, there's a small suburb that Alex and I grew up very near called Gladstone, yeah. Oregon. It's lovely. It's a nice little suburb. Um, okay. So yeah, but what I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is that it's, it, you're, you, you don't have to be on the 100% science end of that spectrum because a tree is still a living thing yeah. that acts and interacts. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the thoughts that I had recently is that we as humans, if you go back into our, our history and time, like pre-language or maybe like as languages were just this nascent kind of thing hmm. um, where at least as you and I understand it today. 
So if we are um, trying to describe someone's personality, then I would say, Alex, you are very much like this rock. You don't move. You're very solid. Thank you. And I would say you, you as, as Alex would look at this rock and two things would happen. One, you would be able to say, oh, yes, I understand the nature of this rock, the characteristics that it has, mm. that Casey is describing me as, cool, thanks. You'd also apply your own personal Alex-isms to that rock. It goes mm. both ways, right? Yeah. So if that is how historically we used to maybe come up with things, because we didn't have the word to describe um, to describe people or things or anything. We had we were coming up with these words and descriptions, descriptions, but we would also use things, like if you look at languages um, that are not necessarily Latinized languages, then we would say things are like this, or like, oh, that is called the man who looks at trees, or the, the tree that does this, you know, like these multi-part words I'm, that are I'm, descriptors. I'm reminded of, uh, uh, also of... Um Native American names. Yes, right? You know, you are named... She who does this. Right, she who does that. Fast as a, you know, yeah, rabbit. Right? Exactly, yeah. So my <clears throat> my kind of theory on this is that historically, and I mean like long-form history, mm -hmm. all of our language developed in relation to the metaphors we were making to the things around us. That was all a part of, our, a part of nature, a part of whatever habitat we were living in. So, if we were to, in science, take away those kinds of metaphors and descriptors and use things that are more, um, like, kind of almost second or third language level, where now this word has its own meaning in space, it does not have necessarily any connection to some other natural metaphor kind of thing, hmm. then... Now that word is kind of neutral and it's a good scientific word where we can say there's no emotion, there's no um, humanisticness added to this word. So we can just say this word is, you know, stressed or whatever you have. The, the whole point of what I'm kind of getting at is that the, if our language shifted away from this humanistic or any kind of metaphor that connected a human and a non-human thing, then... As that language switches away, we start to not compare people to other natural things. And then we don't give human traits and characteristics and things to those non-human things because mm -hmm. it goes both ways. So if that's the case, then we start to disconnect ourselves and our identities as humans from nature. Yeah. So as soon as we start to do that, then we have gone too far away from the, my term now recently is humanizing nature, where it's, we essentially lose connection because I have a connection with all other humans simply by being this species. It's my umwelt. It's the, the human umwelt, right? So soon as that is taken away, then we are now on so far on this other spectrum where there is nature that is over there. There are humans that are over here. We do not cross. We are, we are two external forces rather than being one inside and constantly interacting with the other. Mm. So if we are, if we go too far down the, the side of, you know, objective scientific speak, then it's completely taken away from humans and it's no longer something that we can relate to on a human level. You have to translate the scientific language into something that people can relate to. And then they're like, oh, okay, cool. I get it. I understand now the vascular system of a tree. It moves up and moves down. There's nothing vascular about the tree. They don't have veins that go up and down. It's individual cells that then stop and then start again with another individual cell. Unlike our veins in our body, they're all one big long tube system. Mm -hmm. So my to wrap up my side of this argument... Peter Vollenbin went too far to humanize things and did not, um, did at one point a service because he was able to get people interested in trees, but I think he overhumanized them. Whereas scientists that do not humanize at all underhumanize things. So what we need to do as our, you know, Alex and Casey here doing this podcast right. is um, also um, 
uh, Tobin's book, uh, An Unconventional Guide, it's unconventional because he goes and humanizes in a literal sense all the trees that he's talking about. Right. And gives them almost these these high school caricatures kind of thing. It's The book starts with a imaginary conversation with, yes. between him and a tree. Right. So he, he sets that precedent and then keeps going, which is why I love this book and why it opened my eyes to this middle ground of humanizing where you can humanize a tree <clears throat> and say scientifically, here's what it's doing. But you can also say that this tree is doing something kind of like, and then provide that metaphor. Mm-hmm. So humanizing the tree is not saying the tree is doing this. It's saying, what this tree is doing is similar to this kind of thing or it's different and here's how and this is why trees are unique blah 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 i see so that is my that is my argument where i think saying a tree is stressed is okay saying a tree is happy is okay because it's getting the point across in a way that we humans can understand and relate to and then make an assessment or an assertion or some conclusion about that tree as opposed to saying that a tree is um, that a tree is feeling a certain thing or has a certain agenda or is making certain uh, doing certain things because it has this this thing that it's looking forward to doing, you like know, worldview or something. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like that is a little too far for me because. For sure. I, I think what it's doing is a disservice to the tree. It's making the tree more like us rather than giving the tree its own agency hmm. and saying, hey, this tree doesn't do things the way we do it. It has analogous things that it does, but it is explicitly different and we should not we should not force it down that way. Interesting, Casey. <clears throat> and for the con? I remember this this kid at my high school his name was Adam or something like all of my least favorite people in my high school were named Adam. I think I don't know why shout out to all our Adams out there. We think you <laughs> yeah, guys sorry. are great. I don't currently feel that way. Actually two, two of two of the people who I like the best are named Adam. All right. There you go. Shout yeah. out to Adam stone and Adam Jones. All right. There you go. The two owns Adam stone is our, is our a friend of the pod Casey who, uh, who spent summers who spends his summers rather, um, surveying owls in the woods. Oh my god! Along the Oregon coast. Oh, I think I heard about this guy. That's so sick. Yeah. Shout out to Adam. Hi, Adam. Hi oh, guys. I don't know if he'll hear this. This is on Patreon. Anyway, shout out to you. Yeah. So this kid was like, uh, took took debate really, 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 really seriously. Wow, very platonic. And I, anytime I think about debate, I'm, I think about That's Adam, bad. and I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um. You're free to do however you want to do it. Okay. Well, here's uh, this is not going to be a good debate because I basically agree with you. Oh, well, okay. Well. Yes. An armistice has been reached. <laughs> we, we're going to settle out of court. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Casey owes me money now, right? Um, I think so. Fuck. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I like to think of it and most things as a spectrum. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with you there. So concession. Yeah. Peter Wallenben or Wallenbein or whatever your name is. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, I, I, you know, I'm torn because my instinct is to say that's too far. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. And get people into trees thinking that they're like these things that like think and have like philosophies and worldviews and opinions and things. They just don't, right? That we know of, yeah. That we know and of. And that's, I think, the important thing. But And that's yeah. like, a, that's also sort of a, you know, Western science centric opinion, mm-hmm. but that's where I land personally. Um, however, if we follow that thread, like what's the, what's the, what's the end of that track? And, is it a bad thing? Ah. Like what negative negative thing could come out of his work? And I want to talk that out together. Interesting. So let's say I, I know nothing about trees. Let's pretend. I am me three years ago. Yeah. And I read The Hidden Life of Trees or The Secret Life of Trees. Uh, Hidden Life. Yeah. The Secret Life of Plants is, is oh, another that's book. Right. No, not, the, not the same book. I read the, the Hidden Life of Trees and I take it as gospel. I'm like really into it. Yeah. And I'm telling all of my friends and coworkers, my family about how trees 
you know, have this next level that we didn't even know about. Right. Yeah. What's something negative that could come out of that? Like truly negative. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, yeah. the spread of misinformation in, in itself is sure. sort of negative. Yeah, which I I don't think this quite counts as misinformation. You know, no, I don't think so because it's not it's it's an interpretation mm. of the information. It's not saying something that's explicitly wrong. It's just one of those things that you can't explicitly prove. So you're making a lot of uh, a lot of jumps of logic and conclusions. Don't you think because it was sort of pop literature? Yeah. That a lot of people would read it and think it was fact. Yeah. Well, and then, I mean, a lot of his work was also based on Susan Samard's work before she wrote her book. Mm. So it is, uh, he calls her out a couple different times. In a good way? Yeah, yeah. He says, like, work being done by Suzanne Samard and then continues on. So I think it's a really good question. And I think it depends on your idea of what is good and bad in a society an example would be logging maybe helpful and unhelpful would be a better terms if we're in a city you know and someone says this tree is thinking and feeling and acting then you you don't cut it down like this tree is this this tree has a, a life of its own and an agency that we we have to give it uh it deserves not to be cut down off of your whim if you're in the forest and you say, yeah, this is a, this is a ecosystem of things that are actively making choices and decisions and thinking and helping and has this, this worldview of we are in this together or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then the negative side or a negative thing could be that people will say, you're no longer allowed to cut down any trees because we believe that trees have this uh, particular spirit, if you will, to use a term that was used often in. Um, many indigenous cultures that were interacting with their environment. Uh, this is an analogous, so it's going to be a lowercase s, mm. where the Native American tradition, many traditions down through South America, in Japan and China, like the Shinto did this. And I could be willing to bet if we did the research through all the different indigenous cultures throughout the world, they probably had a similar ideas, like animism kind of thing. Yeah. So I would be willing to bet that the the negative could be if everyone agreed with that outright and didn't have any uh any sway on it then no trees would ever be cut down you know and that would you know have some negative effect we wouldn't have that resource anymore we right. wouldn't have something else but then again it's all it's kind of like the idea of vegetarianism you know <clears throat> like oh that means we're not going to be able to eat cows anymore and everyone's like yes yeah, so Find something else. Right. Let's just do something else. Like let's use sand. You know, let's let's make bricks. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Fair enough. But I I think that that's it's a stretch. That's a stretch to get there. Well, you it's know? a hypothetical anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I think even as a hypothetical, it's pretty outlandish. Wow. It's a hyper hypothetical. I think so. It's a hyper hypothetical. Oh my god! Our first ever. <laughs> wow. This is. I think it's <laughs> yeah, the first right. ever in the history of all evers. <laughs> well, because even in those traditions, they use these trees as a resource. Right. They yeah. Just yeah, also, yeah. They they had this honorific. So I think honestly, even with my hyper hypothetical, it still would come down as they still honored and respected these things as living organisms that were providing them something. So they would, they would have more of a reason to not exploit it maybe. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I think ultimately you're, you're still, I think, I think you're still right. Like it has done no harm or whatever harm it has done. Isn't that bad? Yeah. It has another good side to it. I have sort of a big master analogy for this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Throw it out Thinking about this. Let's say that you are a huge fan of a band called Pink War. Nice. You love Pink War. You've loved them since their early days in the 80s. Yeah, they're right? great. You, you've heard every recording of theirs. You have all the bootlegs. You know every member and like kind of their history and their personalities. And like they just mean a lot to you in the same way that people are like deadheads. Like, yeah, they're spiritually you are connected with Pink War. Yeah. And let's say that um, Pink War just put out a new record, and it's okay. It's not as good as their early work, mm-hmm. but you still listen to it because you're you're you want to support the band. And you buy it, you know. You go to the tour and you buy the T-shirt, and then Applebee's licenses a Pink War song for their new commercial. Okay. For unlimited um, steak quesadillas. 
right? Yeah. Bottomless quesadillas. Fuck yeah. And this Pink War song is on the commercial, and you see it, and you're like, oh, that's, oh, damn. I don't love that, you know? This this thing that means a lot to me is now on this fucking Applebee's commercial. But they got to pay the bills, you know? They made a lot of money from that. Whatever. And then you're talking to somebody at a party, um, and they they ask what what kind of music are you into? You say, "I'm re- oh, my favorite band is Pink War," and they they kind of get a look on their face like, huh, <laughs> like they're they're they are thinking, "Oh God, what a hack!" Because the only Pink War song they know they heard on an Applebee's commercial. Oh yeah, okay. And they're yeah. like, "Oh yeah, the the like the the Applebee's song, right?" And you're like, "Oh," and you're like, "No, no, no." There's like they have like decades of records that are so so good yeah and then you post about pink war on your instagram because you're gonna go see them live and everybody's making fun of you because it's the applebee's band right okay do you see where i'm going with this not really (laughs) okay pink war is trees (laughs) okay all right all right and the applebee's commercial is the hidden life is popular book okay that's what i thought but i was okay so we're not we're we're, we're there and you have a forestry degree and a a background in dendrology and biology right okay so you're ultimately you're like well the band is getting notoriety so you're happy about it. So you're happy about it, but it's in this weird kind of unsavory way. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like they're kind of being sold out. That's not really what they're about. Like they're anti-establishment, you know? Yeah. But they're on this fucking Applebee's commercial and now everybody knows them as the Applebee's band and they may like that song, Yeah. but they don't know Pink War like you know Pink War. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of where, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Yeah. It, so I guess so. Uh, and is there a point to I was gonna say, all what's this? The question, yeah. Um, not really. I just thought of it and I kind of like it. Yeah. Well, I think. I, I, it, I, think I guess it's fair. you have to. You have to ask yourself. Like we said, do the ju- ends justify the means? Are we yeah. thankful to this German botanist? Yeah. Is he a botanist? Forrester, no, Forrester. Forrester. Peter, or are we kind of like? I wish he hadn't done that. And I think like everything else, as we've said, it's a spectrum. Yeah. It's like good that it's out there and it got people interested in trees, potentially. I don't really know. Oh, yeah. It it like changed people's worldview. See, that's a little, that's, I think that's kind of negative because they're now their worldview on trees is based on this book that's full of uh, sensationalism. I don't yeah. know. I, yeah, and I, I think that it's is It's the where, Applebee's commercial. No, this metaphor is perfect. It, that is exactly where I'm at. So I, I on there's a there's a spectrum on this spectrum. Yes. So if we now go over to the, the far Peter Volumbin side and we look at it and we dive into that, we double click on that space, there's now another spectrum we're inside mm-hmm. where some people are like, oh, that's really interesting. I'm curious about the science behind that. And on the other side, it's people who are looking at a tree and whenever it loses its leaves in the fall, they cry because they think the tree is right. you know, having a hard time. It's like, oh, no, this is it's not the case. <laughs> like even I, I watched something in college where there was like these very, very emotional um, like the scene of these people sitting in a forest and talking about like how they feel about the forest. And one of the uh, one of the people in this kind of circle they they were you know encouraged. Um, I have to say this. It felt very hippie to me the whole thing because mm. they were they were talking about how they feel the forest and trying to get their emotions out. But I also believe in that kind of expression. I think it really helps people. So, um, but that's the best way I can describe it. And this um, this person was crying and like screaming about how upset she was when she saw a clear cut or a forest fire. And the clear cut, I was like, sure, but the forest fire was like. Hold on a second. It's a natural thing. Exactly. It's like this is a natural. I mean, if a, if you think about a, a, a forest as a stasis, when a fire comes, there's no more forest. That's completely awful. But if you think about the forest as this long-term just coverage of plants at any given time, then at any one point in time, a grassland is just a forest in the making. And a forest mm. is just a grassland in the making. Like there's just these long form changes that happen over time. Everything is always constantly moving. We just can't quite see it. So I think I have a new, a little sub opinion here. Yeah. Go for it. Which is that I, you know, trees and I'll use this word so that we're on the same page when trees are stressed. Yeah. 
as humans, we sort of, I think almost implicitly see stress as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. It can like, it can reap positive benefits. Like if you're a little stressed at your job, you might be a little more focused on the task, oh, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But like ultimately who wants to be stressed? Like, wouldn't yeah. it be great if we were all totally chill all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So stress is, is almost explicitly, um, implicitly negative. Yeah. So when we say that a tree is stressed, we're saying it's a bad thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, to the tree, the tree doesn't look at the stress as a bad thing. The tree is just constantly adapting to everything, Yeah. good and bad. Now it's just saying, well, I only got this much water now, so my leaves are going to be this big. Yes, and it doesn't yeah. assign a value to that. Like, that's, oh, this sucks. Yes. Or this is great. It's perfect. It, we have to write this into a paper. Somewhere. Yeah, you do it. Uh, <laughs> and it just kind of does, it just kind of does its thing. It receives the information. It doesn't assign a value, good or bad. How do I feel about this thing? It, yeah. it just receives information and it adapts to the information. Very scientific. Until it's dead. And it never in a tree never in its life has a sad day. That's yeah, right? I think that's a great moment, you know, we're we're assuming that that tree wants to live. We assume that that tree wants to live forever. So yes. it's it's working towards that. So when it's when it that is imperiled, the tree is imperiled. Right. Whereas the tree is like no, you know, I live until I die. Exactly. It yeah. means nothing to the tree. I think that's the, the the most proper way to look at this. And I think that, that it it objectifies the tree and takes away those those like innate things that we have when we think of the word stressed. Mm-hmm. We have to almost change the definition a little bit yeah. for a tree versus not a tree. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head just right then with that. That a tree so, is, is... And that's kind of beautiful, Casey. That a tree and all... Um, most nature is like this. Yeah. Is just completely neutral. Like it just deals with what comes and it doesn't say, fuck, this sucks. Yeah. And it doesn't say, yes, this is great. It's just doing whatever it has. It has. Yeah. It has no emotional swings. It just reacts and adapts. Yeah. Now, see, it's very zen, isn't it? Yeah, it is, right? It's like, I mean, people have used trees as a zen metaphor for a long time, yeah. right? But the other thing no, no, I no, think... No, 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 this is a new thing that I'm coming up with. We've come up with so much new stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think the one thing that I can add to kind of, uh, kind of tie this together is mm. that if we are humanizing a tree, then the best way to do it would be saying, yes, this tree is stressed. Here's how it's reacting to this thing mm. in this way, but it's also good... To, to know when you are describing a tree, almost almost like to a child, where you're describing it, you don't want to say, well, the tree's vascular system is wounded and it's having all these things. The tree's going to... Kids are very smart. I get that. But sometimes it's also easy just to say, well, this tree's, this tree's stressed because it doesn't have enough water. So yeah. this is what it's doing. So I think humanizing on this spectrum... Um, being able to say, you know, objectively, well, here's how a tree's doing the thing that it's doing and how it, how we could describe its worldview if we're going to just assume it has one. Its worldview is neutral and I don't give a shit. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do my best. Versus the worldview where a tree is like literally crying and has all these emotions and things like that, where there's there's a space in the middle to, to connect those two dots and not be 100% one way or 100% the other. But I also think that this spectrum is also maybe maybe more like two blocks on the bottom of a pyramid, hmm. whereas you build up the next block, that is resting on both of those things so you can understand yeah. what they are on both sides. Interesting. So you can, you can understand the science behind it, but then you can also understand where the basis of that uh, anthropomorphizing term came from. So I understand scientifically when a tree is thriving and has a lot of, um, has a high vigor, I also can say that is, that tree has high vigor because of this situation and its reactions to it, which makes this tree happy. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, using both and recognizing both in the same kind of statement. Yeah. Instead of just saying, this tree is weeping because it's, you know, so sad. Yeah, because the river dried up. Right. Where you, you know? What I also think is funny is that we both just used, like, affected hippie voices. Yes, I know. Yeah, um, that's, uh, yeah so that's how it goes. It is what it is. We're reacting. So, yeah. Uh, or, or dry scientific say, here's the dry scientific. Therefore, 
this tree's kind of having a bad time. Yeah. Now, I do want to say, I think Peter Volenden did a pretty good job of, like, doing it both sides okay. and, like, really kind of, he, he he was heavily on anthropomorphizing. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of his book. Did he provide the science? Yeah, because he, he, but he didn't go into it in depth. He just said, like, researchers have shown, like this, that trees are connected underground because of the mycorrhizal network, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I think another person who does this very well is... Um, David Attenborough with his Life mm. in the Undergrowth, for example, or Does any of his other things. Stuff? I don't know if he writes it or not. I th- I th- oh, as far as I know, he's just the narrator. I think that's like right. A voice actor just comes in and reads the script. But I, I think he does a little bit of both. Okay. Like historically, when he was younger, I'm sure of it, that he would write it and read it all at the same time. Wow. Because okay. a lot of times he would be the one acting in front of it. Is he producing those uh, documentaries? I think so, at least nowadays. I don't okay. know if he used to. But the whole moral of the point is that he, um, like there's an insect um, documentary, Life in the Undergrowth. It's one of my favorites. Everyone needs to go watch it. Mm. And the very first thing he does is humanize the insects so that people aren't just looking at these things and be like, oh, it's bugs. Mm. He says, this is an earwig. It is also a mother. And then he shows all the little mm. uh, the little babies that are underneath it. And it's like- Effective. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that is objectively correct. We might say that right. it's, you know, parent and offspring. He chose the word mother wow, because it's okay. a female and it that's what females with offspring are in our culture, generally speaking. So you can use uh, factual science, but maybe frame it in a yes. humanizing way. Exactly. There we go. That is the end of the conversation, Alex. That was so <laughs> well put. Well, you said it. Yeah, well, you gave it the right, you, you, you put it in the right frame. Well, hey, don't we make a good pair, don't we? We sure do, Alex. Well, um, that's, that's my thought. So I, yeah. I think at the end of this debate, we have to just agree to disagree. I think we agree, don't we? We agree to agree? Yeah. All right. The first ever. <laughs> this is great. So many firsts. We won. <laughs> We're going to put this out live so everyone can hear it and everyone will be like, wow, these guys really have some <laughs> deep thoughts and they've come up with so many new ideas. Yeah. As an epilogue, I, I, I will right. say what I want to avoid, my biggest kind of sticking point with all this yeah. is and I'm going to give I'm going to give an example. It's not it's not a real example but it represents a real thing which is the instagram or tiktok account that wantonly spreads anthropomorphic misinformation about trees oh yeah 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 or plants oh there's one i'm gonna try and think of it that just came through that i've seen so many times oh what was that Hmm. Anyway, keep going. I well yeah the the, you know the type casey obviously i do i know it very well yeah and i i think you know, social media is is toxic kind of across the board. Yeah. Um, you can use it well, but you're also like a cog in a giant evil machine. Yeah, and it's the same thing as all other internet stuff where everyone's yeah. an expert. So if you listen to it, then you're like, oh, okay, cool. And you give more credence, you know. Yes. The more followers I have on Instagram, the more people think I know what I'm talking about. And the, the people who follow and comment on these videos maybe are using this person as an authority on yeah. trees and plants and that they're they think that they're receiving information and now it's like part of their head canon right yeah i i remember the example i was thinking of. what is your example uh it's crown shyness and it was a like yeah. drone footage of trees blowing in the wind in this forest and it was they they kind of messed with the color spectrum a little bit i'm pretty positive because you could see very clearly like which tree was which because of different colors Mm -hmm. like one tree was a little more yellow one was really dark green that kind of thing but you could also see as they moved the spaces in between the canopies of those individual trees yeah and then she said it's crown shyness uh when trees don't want to touch each other and that's just not how it works if you haven't already heard i will tell you sometime i will reiterate here they just bash into each other and they're also like discrete units of canopy that are normally set so when they blow in the wind you can see the differences between them like you can see oh where that tree is moving away from this tree Mm -hmm. it's only because when they're not moving they're right up next to each other or over the top or under anyway it's not a real thing. It's not yeah. that trees are just keeping a couple inches between each other in the upper canopy. And it's so easy, too, to do this. Like, we could find a photo of something from a tree, yeah. write some text on it, and post it as a meme, and it would blow up. And now, you know, three million people 
will take it as at face value and not research because who who sees something on the internet on Instagram and like goes and Google's it to make sure it's true. Uh, hey, my name is uh, Casey. Well, uh, yeah. Sorry. The average, I would say the average <laughs> user probably just yeah, yeah. scrolls by it and now that piece of information's in their head. Yes, I agree. So that is the, that's my big bugaboo. Yeah. I want to avoid that at all costs and I want to call it out and I want you, dear fungal associate, to call it out. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I have to say, admit though, as a, as a thing, I don't call it out when I see it. I think you should, Case. I, I won't, I'm sorry. You don't like being part of controversy, but it's just an Instagram comment. Yes. Who gives a shit? Oh, it's the, it's the, um, the feeding the troll aspect of it. Where if, they're they're not trolling though, Casey. I know you you often use trolling. this term to describe somebody who's not tr- trolling, which yeah. is they know better, but they're like fucking with you anyway. I yeah, that's true. I always assume that someone can. I I use the term yes more broadly than that. Where anytime you make a comment that is counter to something, I consider that feeding the troll. Okay, because that's that's then even if you're not a troll. All the everyone's gonna look over at you, and then like you start to have this big debate. Mm-hmm. And I just, in every way, despise debates. There's on nothing. The internet. There's nothing more pathetic than yes. seeing a huge chain of comments where people are, Go you know, back and forth and back yeah, and debating forth. like religion on a video about like. Uh, you know, uh, grilled chicken or something. Yeah, exactly. It's like this is a SpongeBob video, you guys. Shut up. I can always, I can always estimate what the top comment is going to be on almost any Instagram video. Have I told you about yeah. this? No, I haven't. But I, I've, I've done that a few times. I've been like, oh, I know what they're going to say. Yeah. And every now and then I get it right. If it's a video of a steak, the top comment will be, uh, "Take it to the vet. It still has time or something <laughs> oh, like because God. it's raw, you know." Yeah. Um. That kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, now that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. Hey, next episode. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the content people want. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this kind of non-debate. I think we 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 got some we got somewhere with this. I Casey. think we certainly did. Literally, I, I do want to like write this up and, and organize it into some salient points that could be written and read at the same time. I would love that because that's a very. I mean, it's a fascinating topic and conversation. Yeah. Because there's there's like two sides that one doesn't care one way or another sees the world the way they do. The other are scientists who are just like, you guys are saying the wrong thing. And they like drives them crazy when you anthropomorphize. Yeah. Things. And then there's the rest of us. Yeah. Who are just like, I, I don't know if I actually give a shit either way. Yeah. I just want to understand it. Actually. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you for listening. Dear, dear Arboretum people. You're um, the best in the world. You're the best in the world. Tell your friends. Uh, and we will see you next time. That's right. 